1: Hey, Be Nation. Welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. We got a little bit of a special edition today for our Friday free-for-all mailbag. I'm going to have two different co-hosts at different parts of the day today. First, I'm going to have Ryan Roberts, our Director of Recruiting, also our NFL Draft Analyst. Ryan is down in Indianapolis right now at the NFL Scouting Combine, getting all the rumors and all the updates and all the notes and nuggets And obviously you had a chance to witness Isaiah Foskey's very, very strong performance yesterday at the NFL Scouting Combine. Although I keep reading these reports about who had good days and I I continue to not see his name mentioned. But hey, it is what it is. He had a very good, strong performance yesterday. So, Ryan, we're going to talk a little bit about just the, the combine up to date, what's coming up next, and then we will dive into mailbags. I did want to begin first. I know a lot of people are are wondering and asking about the report from Football Scoop today about three Notre Dame coaches interviewing for jobs. Uh, believe, I believe at least two of those for sure are true. The third one, I'm not saying isn't true. I'm just saying I haven't confirmed the third one. So I'm not saying it's it's a false report. I'm just saying I can't confirm the third one uh, at this point in time. And, and so uh, essentially what's happening, Ryan, is is this isn't necessarily a surprise. Because this week in Indianapolis, this is what NFL teams do. It's not just interviewing players, but it's also everybody's there. There's a tons of interviews. It's kind of like the January coaches convention, you know, where a ton of interviews happen. I mean, you know, it, uh, half the interviews I ever took in my brief college coaching career happened in in at the coaches convention. Right? It just is an easy way to do it. It's a very early process for all three. I'm not sitting there saying, telling you that they're not going to go anywhere. I'm not telling you that. Uh, they're leaving. I'm telling you, this is just the first stage of the process. It's just an interview, and it's essentially, Ryan. It's kind of like what Notre Dame did. This is the analogy I'd use. <clears throat> you know, when all the when the offensive line job came open, and Marcus Freeman did like a dozen or more Zooms for the candidates just to kind of vet and then will it down. Right now. My understanding is each of those candidate coaches are in sort of that vetting process right now. And then if there's something to be concerned about, you'll see them taking a a visit to those campuses for a a more formal interview is what I was told how it goes. So obviously some Notre Dame coaches are being coveted by the National Football League. So we know for a fact at least four coaches this offseason have been pursued by NFL teams. Uh and and uh these three are the, the three. So right now, obviously, the report today was Chancey Stuckey, Chris O'Leary, and Brian Mason were the three names mentioned today. So we'll see how all that plays out. But as of right now, it's still the early infancy stages, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it just yet, Ryan. I mean, there's no need to kind of complain or be concerned about something that's not quite there yet. So uh, as these things process and pro- or progress, if there's reason to be concerned, we'll let, definitely let you know. But right now, it's just from what I gather, it's just it's it's a thing. It's a real thing, but it's it's early yet. And it's just part of the the process that these teams are going through and which kind of starts the combine.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. It's poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make
1: out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I mean, it's, it especially happens every year at the Combine from the NFL perspective because, I mean, after... The combine and the and the draft is concluded. That's when scout the scouts they have to re up their contracts and such too. So I mean, you talk about the coaching carousel, the scouting carousel. Obviously, there's a lot of prospects in Indianapolis that are also looking for jobs. Like everyone's looking for jobs, and yeah. that's just kind of where we are, right? So I, I do think I would I would say this, Brian. And, and look, I don't want any of those coaches to leave because I think they all have done incredible jobs with what they've you know what they've done so far at Notre Dame. But it's it is a little bit of a it's a good sign that your assistant coaches are being coveted for other positions. That means that you are putting good people on the staff, right? So I think right. that's a good indicator. And at the end of the day, we're not going to worry until there's a serious reason to worry. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of where we are. But you know, it is something to talk about. Obviously, if it does happen, for sure. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm going to say this too, Ryan, and I'm gonna I'm gonna have some strong opinions on this. I'm going to have something coming up very soon on this. Notre Dame should never lose a coach in the NFL, ever, unless it's a head coach or a coordinator, ever, unless that coach just doesn't want to coach in college anymore. And the reason I say that is, Ryan, you know this, assistant coaches in the NFL don't make as much as assistant coaches at the big-time Power Five schools. They just don't. Every single coach on Alabama's staff would have to take a pay cut to go to the National Football League if he still had a job at Alabama. That's just flat out. And while Notre Dame has improved their coaching salary situation, it's still not n- near where it needs to be. And and so, you know, y- you just – you just you shouldn't be losing anyone but a head coach or a coordinator in the NFL. You shouldn't be losing position coaches in the NFL unless those coaches just don't want to pay their – pay that. And that's why one thing that Notre Dame needs to do a much better job of is paying their coaches more. Flat out, pay their coaches more. And that makes it a lot harder for those guys to leave if you if you don't want them to leave. Right. And so we'll, we'll see how it pays out, but plays out. But I'm going to have an article about this. There's a lot of things that, that the administration is not doing. They give lip service to the notion of we're doing whatever it takes to win, but they're not. And we're going to we're going to have more on that soon. Uh, we'll, we'll have a lot more on that soon. So I just want to address that right now we let everybody know kind of know what's going on and, and then we'll dive into some other stuff Ryan. so let's talk a little bit about Ryan first Isaiah Foskey yesterday obviously or last night had a strong performance what are you hearing and what did you what did you see from the performance and then what are you hearing about how that might might or might not approve his draft stock
2: I, you know when when I put out the combine preview for Foskey I put up some pretty what I thought was impressive times and impressive jumps and you know, even 3 cone at his size. and Because I, I, I envisioned that Isaiah Foskey, and I think most people thought this was going to happen, that Isaiah Foskey was going to go Indianapolis, and he was going to test very well. You know, because I don't think anybody has any questions about Isaiah Foskey from an athleticism perspective. Like, that's not something that people worry about. So I had high expectations. He exceeded just about every number, Brian. I think he was like one inch under the vertical that I, you know, kind of put out there that maybe he would get a 35. He got a 34, but just across the board, man, some really good numbers. I mean, everyone's going to talk about the four, five, eight, 40 yard dash with the one, six, six split, you know, a 10 yard, because that's a great number. I mean, he came in at 264 pounds, six foot five and an eighth, 34 inch arms. Somehow he had a longer wingspan and height than what he had at the senior bowl by the way which was like a month ago like that doesn't make any logical sense to me how that happened but it did so i mean he looked great he tested great in the 40 but the vertical 34 inches the broad jump was a really nice number 10-5 it was great and he had a 7 2 83 cone which honestly i thought that was going to be the worst test for isaiah foskey but he was in a good ballpark with some other you know of those more power-based rushers, so I was a little worried about what he was going to run in the three-cone, what he was going to do in the short shuttle, but he checked boxes with those ones as well, and then he showcased that he is a high, high upside athlete. So I I think that coming into the week, he had to have a strong performance from an athleticism perspective because we've talked about it. The film is not there yet. It isn't. The production is there. The athleticism is there, but he's not a consistent player on film. But NFL teams are going to look at that. And I mean, the early sound of it is, you know, NFL teams are obviously kind of, you know, they're very intrigued by the athleticism and the upside that he has. So he did everything he needed to do this week from an athleticism perspective. He also, from what everything that I heard, he met with teams and really presented himself at a very high level, which no one should be particularly surprised about with, with the character that he has. So he checked boxes in that regard. The medicals came back good from everything that I've heard as well. So just a lot of box checked for Isaiah Foskey this week. I, You know, coming into the week, I said that, you know, there are some teams that think that he's going to go in the first round because of the combination of length athleticism he has, you know, that profile. There's other teams that are more mid-day two, late-day two type of conversation because he is not a near-finished product. He has nuance that he needs to get in his game, and he's not a – I don't think he's a day-one starting player foregone conclusion. Like, Can he do it? Possibly. But he needs some work. He needs some refinements. So there was a little bit of a chasm between what some teams thought of him and what some other people did. I, at this point, I would be shocked if he wasn't at least an early second-round pick, somewhere pick 32-40, to 40, 45, somewhere in that ballpark. I think that's kind of closer to the floor now than maybe it was coming into the week because at the end of the day – He took care of business. It was an up and down Senior Bowl. I think the combine performance was one of the best at his position. I mean, he was top ten in every single category across the board in what was a historically impressive testing group of defensive linemen in the 2023 NFL Draft. So, skies up. um, You know, the everything is moving in the right direction. Stock up. You know, everything looks very good right now for Isaiah Foskey. The
1: interesting thing for me, Ryan, is, you know, you look for comps, right? And I think a guy that that for, that he comped very similarly to from a combine pro day slash performance is Jermaine Johnson, from who was drafted in the first round last year. Uh, very similar size. Jermaine Johnson was 6'4", 254, so slightly shorter, uh, 10 pounds lighter. <clears throat> he also ran a 458, had 34-inch arms, same as Isaiah Foskey. Had a 32 inch vertical and a ten five ten five broad. Fosky had the same broad, two inch higher vertical. And according to the report, now Foskey, he did not do a uh, he did not do a uh, the the Remember last year, like a lot of people opted out of the agilities and stuff in yes. the combine because the way that they did it, which made sense. But it is pro day, from what it says here. Uh, he he ran about a four five five in the shuttle. I say Fosky was like a four a low, like a mid to four, low four, four. one.
2: Four for one. On that,
1: so you know, from a from a testing standpoint, he tested out either right there with or better than Jermaine Johnson to put those numbers into context. So I, you know, I I, I think that's going to help him. And and you know, th- we keep talking about how the film doesn't doesn't um, doesn't pan out and or doesn't look as good but but I but I want to make sure that we're also tempering that a little bit the film is not consistent but one thing that NFL teams look at also is production and I think sometimes we don't say that enough the production the last two years was excellent I mean we're talking about a guy that's had 26 tackles for loss and 22 sacks the last two years so I think that's going to help him, too. But uh, I think it's more of the regression that we saw this year a little bit compared to last year that's a little bit of the issue. But I think he helped himself quite a bit yesterday. Now, yeah. does that mean it's going to vault him back on the first round? I hope so. I hope so.
2: But, I feel you know,
1: I feel a lot better about it after this week than I yes. did coming into the yes. week. And the other thing too, Ryan, is I thought he looked really smooth in the drills. I thought that was a big thing. We saw, I watched him in some of the back pedal drills and change of direction drills, and he looked really smooth for a guy that's 6'5", 265 pounds. Yeah. So I think that helped him as well. So.
2: Yeah, and yeah, any, any time you have those types of drills, I mean, for the guys that are a little more high-legged, right, which is what Isaiah is, a little bit of a taller guy, it's not going to look as clean as a Nolan Smith doing it, as a Will McDonald doing it, because they are shorter, less high cut, and 20, 30 pounds lighter than what Isaiah Foskey is. But for his size, I thought he looked really well. I mean, you can see there's a little bit of tightness, but again, there's going to be for a 264-pound defensive end, just natural. But he looked good, I thought, all the way around. And, Brian, I think one good thing that I saw from day one of testing, and this is more a combine thing than an Isaiah Foskey thing, is I think guys were a lot more open to doing everything, because I think the combine actually took some nice steps this year as far as, like, being more player-friendly, man. Like, they moved the bench press to the day after the on-field testing. They kind of went a little bit earlier in the day instead of having guys out there at, like, 10 o'clock at night doing agilities. Like, I do think that the combine actually was a lot more player-friendly this year, which I was very happy to see because you saw less guys opting out of stuff, which was good.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's something I noticed. We didn't see as much of that opt-out stuff. There's still a lot of guys that don't do the agility stuff. They just do the power stuff. Uh, so there weren't as many D linemen that did the, the shuttle as that uh, did the 40, right? Which, you know, it is what it is. So today, Ryan, uh, Michael Mayer is talking, did his interview today. And then also Brandon Joseph will be working out today. So they, obviously a lot more going on. And then uh, offensive linemen, they report, do they they report today or tomorrow? They, they report tonight and then they have all their stuff tomorrow morning. So they'll talk so. tomorrow and then yep. work out the next day, basically. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So still a lot going on from the NFL scouting combine everybody. So Ryan, I, I don't want to spend too much time on that, uh, but I did want to give since you know people a chance to to kind of hear from you about how everything is going and and go there. But it is Friday, which means we got to get to some questions. And we have a lot of questions today that we've already got started and we're going to have a lot more coming up. So we're going to begin, Ryan, with John A1 Which is, you know, it's where we got to go. He jumps in early, gets us all those great questions, and we appreciate it. So we'll start with him. And he says, which player on both offense and defense needed to have the biggest jump in the strength and conditioning period? Ryan, so let's begin with offense. Who's the one guy that you think needs to have the biggest jump in the strength conditioning period?
2: Well, two players that that pop out to me. One guy is more pertinent to the 2023 season, and then another guy is more for the future. I mean, for the future, it's Emil Wagner. Like, that's number one for me, because we're coming into now a season where you have Joe Walt, you have Blake Fisher, but you're only guaranteed to have those guys for one more season. You know, like, it's it's conceivable that at least one of those guys is gone after the 2023 season. So, Emil Wagner might be the future at left tackle, possibly, but we've talked – aimlessly about or endlessly i should say about him needing to add weight needing to add strength because there's certainly aim to this conversation right like it wasn't aimless but he needs to be a guy that has a good off season has a good winter workout winter workouts puts on some added weight cuz if he goes into the fall camp next year uh, or this year at 260 something, 270 pounds, I really start to get worried, man, because now he's a full year in the in the work, in the weight room, full year in the system. He needs to start showing growth. So that's a future one. I think another one offensively for me is Mitchell Evans is a guy that I expect to make some big gains this offseason. He's he's got a massive frame. He's got the ability to really add a lot more power profile to him. And I think that if he does, he has a chance to you know, take, take over that mantle as the clear cut tight end one and be a legitimate producer in the run game and in the passing game. And he's got that frame where I sure, you know, coach Bayless, the minute that he committed to Notre Dame, he saw him in person and was like, I, I can work with that, man. Like I can work with that type of frame. So I think pertinent for 2023 Mitchell Evans, but for the future, I would say Emil Wagner is also a big guy that I'll be keeping eyes on.
1: Yeah, Emil Wagner, the next two years, is a big one. I, I'm gonna say on offense, I actually have a different angle. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm I'm doubling down on the on the Tobias Merriweather train this year, right? And I think he is the guy that has the most star potential at the receiver position. I think he's the guy that that has the best chance to become that dude for Notre Dame if they're gonna have that dude this year. And I think he needs a big year. I think he needs a big year in getting stronger. I don't care about the weight as much. Uh, But I care about the strength, the functional strength, the the durability, and then that first step explosiveness. That's something that I think needs to get worked on a little bit, too, fundamentally from a technical standpoint. But also then, you know, what he can do uh, in regard to just that that burst off the line from a just physical standpoint. And if he can just make a nice jump this year uh, and and not a jump that's not normal for a guy his age, just a normal jump for an athlete with his of his caliber. He's a guy that I could see. Really having a a big big jump this year, and, and I'm hoping that that
2: happens. Fun fun note: Yesterday at Brandon Joseph's media availability, he was asked, "Notre Dame has a lot of young receivers. Who's the guy that you think is going to be the guy going into next year? The guy that takes the big jump." And he said without hesitation, Tobias Merriweather. That was his answer. He said he's yeah. going to be a very good wide receiver at Notre Dame. we have heard that so much, Ryan.
1: It seems like yeah. the only person that didn't know that last year was the offensive coordinator. It just, and even he would say it behind the scenes. It just was the whole, well, you know, we got to run our offense this way, that way, the other way, and you know, just whatever. It is what it is. But yeah, he is a uh, he he is he is a a very talented player and could be that jump defensively. It's, it's two guys for me. It's, it's Nolan Ziegler and Jalen Snead. I really want to see those two guys challenge. I want to see them get opportunities to challenge. Now the the latter, I don't know if it'll happen. I don't know if they're going to get real opportunities, but I hope that they do. And I hope that they have good off seasons where they get stronger and thicker, more explosive, but not getting too much weight on where they're getting stiff. I think that's a mistake that some coaches can make, especially at a place like linebacker is, you get a lot of these older coaches like Al Golden, who still live in this universe of, of you know, the NFL plus how it used to be, where linebackers were much bigger. And it's about can they play? Right? Can they run? Can they stick and can they play? And so I'm hoping that those guys have big off seasons as well. And, and there's a bunch we can name, you know, like Benjamin yeah. Morris has got to have a good off season. Josh Burnham, Gabriel Rubio, that, Jason Onye. Those are yeah. all guys. You know, there's a lot of guys that need to make that jump for me
2: yeah my, my young my two guys were the young edges the young vipers that and you just mentioned one I think Joshua Burnham is a guy that's body is developing very quickly and very well continuing to add again I don't want him to get too bulky because his biggest sell is like that dude can move man and he's got length like he can move so I don't want him to show up at like 260 pounds as a redshirt freshman right but like 245 looking solid continuing to grow to his frame like yeah, and then uh, Aiden Goodbyer was the other one. You know, I think we know Aiden Goodbyer is a really talented football player. Might be a year away from being a real big contributor, but, I mean, he's another guy that's 6'6", long arms. He's got room to grow, and he's got a frame to put it on consistently. And, you know, if you're able to get a jump from both of those guys on top of hopefully a more consistent Jordan Patelho in 2023, then you're talking about the Viper position all of a sudden be pretty dang exciting and a lot of different yeah. body types. So the young Vipers are the ones with defense for me. Absolutely. And, and Ryan, what
1: I'm going to do too is I'm going to try to find some questions here during this that are draft-related as well, mixing in with the team stuff, because I, I obviously I want to be able to uh, to to have you speak on that stuff as much as possible when, when we get here. We have a question down here from Domer Chris, speaking of the draft. Foskey spent most of the Senior Bowl in a two-point stance, right? I would think he projects best as a 4-3 D-end or a 3-4 D-end, but does the NFL see him as a 3-4 outside linebacker? So first of all, I know – let's just say there's going to be a lot of teams that view him as a 4-3 defensive end. yeah. But in a 3-4, where do teams see him?
2: I mean, so it's such a f- interesting conversation, Domer Grizz, because we, 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 get, we get so hung up on – 4-3, four, 3-4, three, three, four, the base stuff, right? But NFL teams barely run base anymore. I was talking to a Cleveland Browns beat writer yesterday that said that they were in sub 73% of the time last year, man. like, So, 3-4, three, 4-3, four, four, three, it becomes a little bit muddled to a degree. I mean, like, you know, we can start talking about it being 4-2-5, 3-3-5 five, three, three, five in, in some sure. situations, You 3-2-6. Know, like, there's a lot of different ways that you can now play defense the next level. I would say that Talking to Isaiah, he presented himself as a stand-up rusher. That's what he said he was. Like He didn't talk about putting his hand in the dirt. He said he was comfortable working from a two-point stance. That's how he sees himself. So I think regardless of whether it's a mostly odd man front or even man front team, though – even if it's a four-man front, I don't I think that some teams will be still be comfortable with Isaiah Foskey being a four-three defensive end, but maybe not putting his hand in the dirt as much as what a traditional four-three defensive end will do. So I still think you're gonna see Isaiah Foskey work from a two-point stance a ton, but I think the biggest sell for me, Brian, is you know, I, I don't want Isaiah drumming back in coverage a ton. We've talked right. about that, but he can do it in spurts. So I think whether you're a three-man front, four-man front team. Isaiah Fosk is a pretty scheme-diverse football player. He's not going to be a 3-4 Sam backer that you're going to use as an overhang and drop into the flat a ton, but as a 3-4 outside linebacker who's that weak side rusher, the guy that can work in a two-point stance, as a 4-3 defensive end that you're really just trying to let him get clean vision off the snap and then work from a two-point stance and occasionally put his hand in the dirt, I think that he's he's a pretty scheme-diverse player, and I think that he is going to be coveted by multiple front teams. I have to say I hate it when players say things that like that that limit them. I just I, I, my my, I, big, my my biggest frustration from Isaiah's media day was he there. People were asking about his pass rush plan, which we talked about a ton. We have talked about that, and he said, "You know, I, I work everything off a of bull rush and a, a long arm." And I'm like, cool, that's fine. Like that's your that's your initial move, right? Where's the counter though? And he just kept talking so much about just wanting to go down, down guy's face and, you know, use his power profile. And I'm like, Isaiah, I get it, man. You're long, you're powerful, you're explosive. But for you mm-hmm. to really hit your upside, man, you got to get an inside counter, brother. Right. You got to get something to win consistently around the outside track. If you add that stuff to your arsenal, you go from being a good football player at the NFL level to maybe a – Double digit sack guy every single year at the NFL. Like Isaiah has that type of upside. So I really w- I really hope whatever defensive line coach he gets with in the NFL, they really harp on, like, hey, man, you have a great baseline of ability, but let's add something here, right? And ma- really get him to buy into it. Yeah. Let's go to the next question
1: here. We have another one from Irish Blooded Ryan. Here's an interesting one. Barring injury, X factors, et cetera. So things that, you know, bad coaching, you know, something going wrong outside their control, per se. Who do you think is the better quarterback going into next year's draft, Caleb Williams or
2: Drake May? It's Caleb Williams for me. I mean, I love Drake May, and he's Drake May is more the prototype. You know, he's going to be 6'5". He's going to be 225 pounds, and he's a good athlete, too. He's a good athlete. He's got a strong arm. He checks all the boxes. I just think that there's something special about Caleb Williams from a just – playing the quarterback position, man. I think he's a smart kid. I think he understands what he's seeing. But more than anything, Brian, like he is what the NFL wants a quarterback right now. You know, the guys that can make magic happen outside of structure. And Drake May could do some of that stuff, which is why I ultimately think he's going to be coveted very high as well. I just think that while Drake May has really good traits, maybe even great traits in some capacity – I think Caleb Williams has special ones in a lot of different ways. You know, ability to throw from different arm angles and work out of structure, extend plays, make magic happen. Like, I just think that he's just a slightly different talent than what Drake May is personally from a throwing perspective.
1: To me, it's going to be a lot similar to the 2021 draft where the debate was always who's who's second. There was never any real debate from any serious people about whether or not trevor lawrence was the number one or not there was never a serious debate about that not from anyone serious there's a lot of talking heads that had a lot of stupid things to say but i'm talking about like serious people nfl people like people that actually have a real opinion that doesn't you know have have to do with just them being dumb or clickbait right trevor lawrence is the best quarterback in that draft class and and i feel like that's how this draft class is going to be ryan is barring something happening with caleb williams and i could see caleb williams like he's such a walking contradiction. You know, he does things where you're like, you know, he, he'll he take certain things that he does and he gives all the money he gets from an NIL to some charity and, and you hear things, good, these good things about him. And then he does stupid, these silly dumb things like, you know, F UCLA or F Utah or F Notre Dame. It's like, bro, you're, you're not a kid anymore. You know what I mean? Like just that's an unforced error. But the reality is the kid's got exceptional talent. He's got a, a just an absolute rocket arm. He's athletic his his now him and Drake may both need to get better at making faster reads and making better decisions talking about their timing but that's more of a their second year guys thing than a not having the ability thing for me they're not to Bryce Young's level but most people aren't at Bryce Young's level as a second year guy Bryce Young was in a unique category and if Bryce Young was Caleb Williams size we'd be talking about him being one of the best quarterback prospects in my opinion in in a long time in in my yeah. view And so Caleb Williams isn't quite there. Drake May's not quite there, but they both are good for their age. And but I think Caleb to me gets an advantage because if they both are slow to make a read, Caleb Williams can still make a lot more throws because he throws the ball with such great velocity and his ball placement's pretty good. It got a lot better this year. Like as a freshman, he was you know his ball placement wasn't great. I thought his ball placement this year was really good for a second-year player, like really good, and so his, and his overall feel for the game is pretty good, and as you mentioned, they can both make plays off platform, but Caleb is so much stronger and so much better at making people miss yes. that I think that gives him the advantage, so Drake may, I, I as long as he continues to develop, should be the number two quarterback in next year's draft class. And again, somebody's going to step up, and there's going to be some Zach Wilson type of breakout that gets everybody infatuated, some Will Levis type that everybody falls in love with, but you know I think the two best next year are going to be those two. But I think to me, there's a clear difference between
2: one and two. Do, do you know who who is North Carolina's offensive coordinator now? It's a good question. Let me look it up real quick. So uh, I, I believe they promoted
1: from within. I think it was the guy that um, was the offensive coordinator in the bowl game. So let me just let me just find this here real quick. So it is Chip Lindsey. Okay, is, is who it that is? That sounds so really familiar. Sounds yeah. really familiar. No, he is. He was not there off he was not there last year. He was the offensive coordinator at UCF last year, and he was the head coach at Troy from 2019 um, to 2021. And he was the offensive coordinator at Auburn in seventeen and eighteen. Interesting. So yeah, so he's their new offensive coordinator. I,
2: I, I'm just really interested to see what their offensive structure looks like because I think the whole you know, maybe not getting the ball out on time a ton was because of that air raid stuff, no. right? It's because so, everything is vertically oriented for Phil Longo. It's just like things take right. a little bit longer in his passing attacks. So. and they're
1: they're going now to the Gus Malzon type of offense. I'm not sure. Oh, if Oh no! Because I mean, look look at where he's from, right? He was he was Gus's offensive coordinator last year. He was Gus's offensive coordinator in 17 and 18. I mean, that's that's where he's. I
2: I don't. I don't love that because they're going to score a lot of points running that offense, but yeah. it's not going to develop yeah. Drake May for the NFL at all. Yeah. So.
1: It's interesting. Now he was, he was also Todd Munkin's offensive coordinator at Southern Miss. So, I mean, it's a little bit of a, That's a spread to, well, Todd Munkin didn't run the offense at Southern Miss that he ran at Georgia looked a little sure. bit different. So it's, it's going to be interesting. Very interesting. Jay Henry asks, which NFL – which player on the current Notre Dame roster could dominate the NFL Combine in the future? Let's start on offense, Ryan, because yeah, um, what what's interesting is there's a couple guys that aren't starters that I think if they ever make it to the Combine could could blow it up, and obviously the first one is Chris Tyree. But Chris there's Tyree's some gonna... other guys to me that I'm – like if Emil Wagner can get up to 290 plus and stay at his, his, his level of athleticism and power – people are going to be sh- this he's going to have exceptional exceptional length and he's going to be surprisingly powerful for a guy his size too and we know he can move he's he's one that just pops off the head for me Ryan what what are some of your thoughts on that
2: Yeah, no, that's a really good one. Chris Tyree, I mean, the kid's a speed merchant, right? So he's going to run incredibly fast. Lorenzo Styles is a player that is going to test really well all around. I mean, he was on the freaks list for a reason before the season. Like, he's going to test really well. Tyler Buckner, honestly, I mean, not a lot of quarterbacks test all the time anymore, but Tyler Buckner would put up some stupid explosive numbers, man. Like I'm sure he would have a crazy broad, I'm sure he would run a fast forty. Like he would test really well for a quarterback person. Same se, with his so. change of
1: direction stuff. The three yeah. cone 20 shuttle, I think he'd do very well there. Yep. Defensively, um, again, it's a lot of younger guys. Nolan Ziegler, if he pans out as a player and gets to the combine, is gonna blow up. I mean, he he's a more athletic version of Drew, a taller, more athletic version of Drew Tranquil,
2: athletically. Andrew right. Tranquil had a nice combine, man. Very nice combine,
1: <laughs> yeah. exactly. Like Jalen Sneed was another yes. one. You know, I think if Cam Hart can stay healthy, I think Cam Hart's going to surprise some people with his testing numbers next year uh, in, in that regard. And, and Josh Burnham's another one, too, that I think is going to be a bit of a combine freak. Yeah. A little bit of a combine freak. Anybody else kind of stand out to you as maybe M- – Ramon Henderson might just test
2: well speed-wise, but I don't know if he'll do well in some of the other movement stuff. G- Jalen Sneed was one that popped in immediately for some reason. I think that I I don't know if I would call him a freak, but I think Xavier Watts would test pretty well all the rounds, you know, like he would just be one of those safeties that just like kind of checks a lot of boxes, right? Like maybe he's not number one or number two at any one, you know, any one test, but he's just like, Oh, well he's, Top five to 10 in every single category, like nice broad, nice vert. You know, it's just all good around. But I think the young linebackers are a really good one. I think that one makes a lot of sense. I wouldn't be shocked because I know he's going to be a smaller edge rusher, even though I think he played at like 250 pounds. I bet you Jordan Patelho blows the place up a little bit athletically, man. Like he's going to be a very explosive player.
1: The thing about Xavier Watts is I think he's not going to create the buzz from observers because I don't think he'll run a fast 40 time. He's going to be a lot like Alohi Gilman. His other stuff is going to be really good. Yeah, and and like you know, like Alohi ran like a six eight in the the three cones is really good. He ran sub four one in the, in the twenty yard shuttle. I think Xavier will be in like like have that 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 kind of success where maybe his forty time won't blow you away, but all the other stuff is going to be really good. In my yep. opinion, agree. So that's going to be interesting. And, you know, some other linemen. I think you know Blake Fisher. I think could be a guy that's that that. People are like, wow, that big that guy's three hundred twenty-five pounds, and he moved like that.
2: He could be another one that I could see do something I, like that. I, I wouldn't be shocked if Joe Alt's a really good tester when all yeah. said and done, either, because he just seems well, like, a, yeah, that type of guy. As long as he gets back to good health, I mean, I,
1: you know, Eli Raritan had a ten-yard split time that's better than anybody at this year's NFL draft. So what was that time? uh, Like a one five flat or something like one five
2: one. And that was one four something. It was one. I think it was like one four seven or something, which Nolan Smith just ran a four, three, nine, and his 10 yard split was one five, two. So, right. Yeah. Apparently he did that
1: five months post ACL surgery, according to some reports.
2: So, uh, yeah, pretty silly, man. Pretty silly. Yeah. He's going to run. Hey, he might run a four, two, if that happens. So seriously, seriously. (laughs) Uh, Alan Watson with a super chat.
1: Thank you, Alan. Are we finally going to see an offense that won't be predictable? We're, uh, we're talking Notre Dame, right? So
2: that's yeah, I, I mean, I mean, Brian. My first thoughts is I know what the I know what what the offense wants to be. I believe like I, I think I know a lot of what the what the philosophy behind the offense is going to be and what there's belief in from a staff perspective. But one interesting thing that I don't know if we've talked about. But now that you have Gino Cadouli as your quarterback coach, now that you have Joe Rudolph as your offensive line coach, you have three guys now on the offensive coaching staff that have called an offense at some point in their career. So that I, I there's a, I think there's a meshing that's going to happen, right? Like I, I don't know if I'm going to sit here and say, like, Jared Parker's going to take all this stuff from Joe Rudolph's offensive coaching staff, you know, play calling perspective and from Gino Cadouli's. But it's going to be interesting if he takes like one or two wrinkles from there, one or two wrinkles from here, and then it meshes and it becomes something that maybe is a little bit unpredictable. So I think it will be less predictable, Alan, because I don't think I fully understand what it's going to look like. I think I understand what the the core competencies about the offense are, what they believe in. But we don't 100% know what it's going to look like. I don't believe. I, I think yeah. that there's still a lot to figure out on the offensive side of the football as far as what the identity is. Yeah, I, I, I got to bring this
1: one up from Detroit Hunter. He says, talking about Xavier Watts, he is certainly faster than Alohi Gilman. Though Alohi Gilman ran a four six flat. That that's. I don't know if it's, it's, not it's a given that it's not no, not at all. Kyle, Kyle Hamilton was, ran four five nine. So yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. I don't know <laughs> yeah. if that's if it's a given that that he'll be faster than that. I think he'll be, I think he'll be quicker in some areas. I think, cause again, people have to understand there's a difference between being explosive and being athletic and being fast. There's some very athletic players who are just are not fast. And in that regard, Kyle Hamilton is a very, very athletic player. He's not fast. Right. And when it comes to 40 time, alohi Gilman's very athletic, he's just not fast. I mean, six, eight and a sub four, one, that's really athletic.
2: Six eight's moving, man. Six yes. moving. Yes, and yeah. it
1: wasn't like six eight nine; it was six eight one. Yeah, you know, and 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 so you know that that's that's pretty athletic. He's just not fast, and so I think those are things that that I that I I look at, and I, and I don't I don't know if Xavier will be better than that. I'm not saying he will or won't. I, I'm just saying I don't think it's a given. It, for sure that he's going to be faster than Alohi Wills. Alohi ran a pretty good time. I mean, to put into context, you know, Harrison Smith, who's been arguably the best safety of the last decade, right? If you ca- count just the whole length, he's at least in the conversation. You know, he he ran a four five seven at the combine, had a six six three three cone, and a four one two shuttle. So Lohi was right there with him on forty, right, and had a better twenty yard shuttle. And then Harrison was a pretty good, decent amount faster in the three cones. So what was
2: it? what was his three cone?
1: What was Harrison? Six three. Six, three. Shh, that's silly, yeah. man. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. Silly. Yeah, and then a four one two in the twenty yard shuttle, which you know, got for a guy that's six two two fifteen is pretty flipping good, you know. So it's a good time. Uh, and in a, a four five seven forty. So I just think sometimes. Sometimes maybe we obsess over a little bit on the 40 a little bit too much. But, um, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious. If Xavier runs, if he's for sure fast and Lonnie Gilman, and Xavier Watts will be a guy that people are impressed by at the Combine. But he won't be a guy that's like in the four fours in my opinion. So uh, we'll, we'll, have to, we'll have to see how that one pans out. Let's get to it. We had a couple more draft questions down here, Ryan, I wanted to get to. But we'll we'll try to find some as I get to it. Here, here's one from Alan Watson. Okay, most important. Thank you for the chat, Alan. Most important question, what kind of 40 time? Guys, do a rich Eisen.
2: Oh, are we running forties? Is that is that what yeah, we're being? I going to would to not. I would
1: not be able to make it forty yards right now at this point in time. If I'm being
2: honest about yeah. it, I I, I would be lucky to crack maybe five three right now. Yeah. If I was like, trying what was the hard? F- fastest forty time you ever ran? I was like a four eight in high school.
1: A four eight. Minus four five nine was my best. Yeah. So I wasn't a burner either. So yeah, I feel your pain. All right, let's get to some uh, questions here. John A. One asks, "Who is Notre Dame's best linebacker in
2: coverage? I mean, do do they have one right now? In theory, in theory, it should be Maris Loifau, but that's not the yeah. that's not the facts of the world right now. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't I mean, really think they have anyone that's. I would even say
1: is good. J.D. Bertrand. He's a pretty good zone dropper. I think he he improved in that regard this year,
2: but um, I. I don't think any of them are necessarily really good in coverage it, right now. In theory, I would say maybe it'll be Nolan Ziegler, but obviously we haven't seen him. So how are we supposed to judge? That's why that I can't right say Jalen Sneed. I can't say Nolan. Cause they haven't played, you know, I can only look at yeah. the four guys that have played. And right now. If, if you told me that I can just put a linebacker in man coverage all day, I would probably say Maris Cause it's like Maris, run with that guy and, you know, don't drop in the zone and, I'm sure he would be pretty good at that, but yeah, yeah, not a strength of that unit right now. Yeah, we
1: we we shall see. We shall see. All right, I think that's it so far for the uh, the NFL questions. But I'll see if I see any more as we kind of move forward. Indy Estimate Trucking LLC. What kind? Uh, what does Kaiser actually bring you at Rover and that Sneed and Ziegler don't other than experience? He makes mistakes and doesn't have the athleticism of the other two. So why is he the first choice? Uh, Can I just say something real quick? I I hate when people ask questions and then eliminate a really positive thing that is part of the discussion. Like you can't just say other than experience, like experience. Experience does matter. It shouldn't be the end all be all, but experience does matter. And I think think Jack Kaiser is a little bit underrated as an athlete. I think Jack Kaiser is actually a pretty good athlete. I think he's just small. I think yeah. that I think Jack Kaiser's small, and I don't think he has great coverage instincts in man. I think those are his issues. But I think Jack Kaiser's a pretty athletic linebacker.
2: I just think he's small. And and I, I think that you made a great point. And I mean, linebacker is a position where like experience matters a lot, man. Mm-hmm. Like you need to see the game. It, like, it's a very just, intellectual position, yeah. you know. Like it's I mean, people talk about, you know, oh, just get downhill and get out of your trigger. And it's like But until you see those live bullets and see this stuff working quickly in front of you, it's much easier said than done. So I think that experience does matter. Look, I, I do think Jack Kaiser would be better suited maybe inside at will you know, that, that comparative to Rover, but you can't discount the fact that he has played some good football over the last two years. It's not like he's been awful in every single game or something like that. Like he's, he's had good games, man. He he had more impactful moments last year than
1: any other linebacker. They had JD was their most steady, but when Jack Kaiser was on, Jack Kaiser was impactful off defense and special teams. This is what I keep saying about Jack Kaiser is they need to limit his role And make him more of a this is what he's good at and this is what he's not good at, and stop asking him to do the things he's not good at. You know, so for example, you could say, well, I like here's something Nolan Ziegler, for example. I think Nolan is faster and longer than Jack Kaiser. I I don't think anyone debates that. My problem right now is they're spending so much time trying to put put weight onto him that he's not going to be an option at Rover. And then you've got Jalen Snead, who's a more explosive athlete, but. And longer, but the, so if Jack knows what he's doing, but he's a step slower and Jalen doesn't know what he's doing and he's a step faster, then they're going to get to the quarterback, the the, the ball at around the same time. I think Jalen's Jalen's where where you say, okay, well then in that case play Jalen, because if he does read it, right, he's got a greater chance of making an impactful play. You just have to then look at the bowl game and say, but Jalen now needs to eliminate those big mistakes that he made in the bowl game, turning guys loose in coverage, late late hit penalties. Because you have to be Jalen Smith in order as a as a player if you're going to make those kind of mistakes and still be able to be on the field, and and so that's what you got to hope that they can get out of him because he's got all the time. I mean, him and Nolan Ziegler are two incredibly dynamic athletes. It's just the defense is so complex guys like that can not get on the field and those guys needs to need to play. But I don't think Jack Kaiser should be our whipping boy at linebacker at this point in time. It's, it's, he does certain things really well and it's up to the staff to do a better job of putting him in those situations. Same with Marist, you know, who he is, stop putting him in positions that you know, he, he's not good at and, and then being shocked when he doesn't make plays. That's on you after this point in time. But you, you've now got 13 games under your belt. If that continues to happen next year, that's on you as a coaching staff. That's not on Marist at this point in time. And so hopefully they're able to find some ways to get that to get that rolling because it, it certainly was frustrating. Uh, Nathan Milton, speaking of linebackers, Ryan, Nathan, Nathan Milton says, what starting linebackers would you like to see next year?
2: I mean, ideally, I would love to see Jalen Snead take hold of a rover spot, which allows Jack Kaiser to move inside and kind of rotate inside at will a little bit. I mean, I think that that's ideal. JD Bertrand's going to be the starting mic unless something unforeseen happens, you know, with that experience that he has. So I would say JD at Mike, Jalen Snead at will if he steps up. And then I would love to see something inside of, you know, let's rotate a you know, let's rotate a Nolan Ziegler with the Jack Kaiser at will, for instance, and let's use Maris Leifel as more of a, a niche player. Like let's use him in a certain spot, you know, a bunch of different spots and just ask them to, do one thing out of that alignment rather than doing 10 different things out of one alignment. So I think that that is the most advantageous because at the end of the day, I do want to see Jalen Sneed and I do want to see Nolan Ziegler and those guys on the field. I do because I think they can be impactful. They have a year under their belt from a practice perspective, from a weight room and strength conditioning perspective if they're developed properly, it's inexcusable for them not to be on the field a bit as a sophomore, because they, you know, have that full year of experience now under their belt. So I hope that you see those guys. And I think JD at Mike is going to be a guy that's going to play, you know, the majority of the snaps at Mike, you know, maybe a, I don't know if, if, you know, I know that they're, you know, kind of going between with like Junior Toya Lamaca at, at Viper, I mean at Viper and, you know, not as much at Mike, but I would still like to see Junior a little bit at Mike. But regardless, J.D. at Mike, Jalen Sneed, the majority at Rover, in my opinion, and then some combination of Nolan Ziegler, Jack Kaiser, and Maris Leifel inside at the other spot, I think would be advantageous to everyone, you know, in yeah. my opinion. I'm of the belief right. I don't
1: really care who starts specifically. I just want to know that the people that are starting are the best playmakers. and And I'm tired of guys not playing simply because they're not experienced enough yet. Like that's your job as a coach. And if you can't get the, if you can't get a talent like Jalen Snead on the field more, then you're just not a you're just not a very good coach. I'm sorry. If you can't get Nolan Ziegler on the field right now, he's your. Honestly, pound for pound, I think Nolan Ziegler's probably the best athlete they have a linebacker. And then it's him and Jalen, one and two. And, it, and it's not really close. When you talk to people around the program, it's not really close. But they, it's just excuse after excuse for why those guys aren't playing. And and um, that's the kind of thing that, that's frustrating me. But, but look, I don't really care specifically who the guys are. If Maris Luafau comes out next year and he's a disciplined player that's assignment correct, he's going to be a heck of a player. If he's not, pray play Prince Collie, pray Jalen, play, play Jalen Sneed, play Nolan Ziggler. I don't care. I just want guys that are gonna make plays. And and that's the thing, is because the linebacking core this year, Ryan, just did not make plays. And, and I don't think people realize how problematic that that the lack of production really is. I mean, you know, you, you look at it, and and I'm I'm you've got eight and a half tackles for loss by JD Bertrand, five and a half by Jack Kaiser, that's 14. Mayors had four and a half, that's eighteen and a half. Prince had two and a half. That's 21 and 20 and a half because you have a half from so 20, uh, 22, 22 and a half tackles for loss from your linebackers last year. That's it. That's all you had. And that's just not good. You had 20 from Jeremiah Kormo and Drew White alone in the 2020 season, which was yeah. a, a shortened season. You know, you had, I mean, 18 from Khalid Kareem, or for you no, know, 18 from Asmar Bilal and Drew White alone. In 2018, or excuse me, in uh, 2017, Tavon Coney and Drew Tranquil by themselves had 23 tackles for loss. And you throw in Niles Morgan, that's 30, just those three guys alone. Three more from Greer Martini, that's 33. Asmar had one and a half, that's 34 and a half. And the yeah, A1 from Jonathan now Evans, 35 and a half. And and this group is barely over twenty. And it's just not good enough. It's
0: no, just it's not, not good
1: enough. It's and not. and and it's not just one guy. It's it's not it's 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 a problem that goes that starts at the top and works its way down. And it's something that's got to get got to get better.
2: Because because you don't have to have one guy that's the overall playmaker, right? Like you don't need one guy that gets like twenty tackles for loss. But Brian, there are some linebackers in college football last season that almost did that number by themselves. Like Ivan Pace Jr. for Cincinnati had 20 tackles for loss last year by himself playing inside linebacker. Like you can't have production in four to five different guys comparative to what other teams one. Like that's just not good enough, man. Like you need to be more impactful. You need to make more plays at the end of the day. I mean, if you're – especially because the bad thing about Notre Dame last year was Notre Dame also gave up a lot of – Dumb plays, man, where you're just like a guy's in a wrong spot. He took all the block wrong. He was confused. He was out of position. And you're also not making big plays. Like if you were making big plays and I give it up an occasional one, I can live with it for to a degree because I'm like, at least they're taking chances and making some plays. Like it's a little maybe too volatile at times, but you're not volatile at all. You just weren't impactful. Right.
1: NC State's two top inside linebackers last year combined for 33 tackles for loss. Uh, hold on a second. I might have counted that up wrong.
2: Yeah, I did. 34 tackles for loss. Is that is that uh, Drake Thomas and uh, Pete Wilson? No. Nope. Not even Pete Wilson. Four. Yeah. Isaiah Moore had 15 tackles for
1: loss last year. And I believe he's kind of like an outside linebacker, right? I, I think I'm he's more play. of the inside. I think Peyton's the guy that they kind of move around a little okay, bit. Okay, so then it's definitely. then it is your two inside linebackers. Yeah. And Drake yeah. Thomas is definitely an inside linebacker. He's like six foot two twenty-five. Yeah. Right. So, you know, NC State can get that kind of production, but Notre Dame can't. I mean, can't Notre Dame can't get half that from their top two guys, like barely half that from their top two guys. It's yeah. just gotta get better. Simple as that. It's gotta get better. Tavis McKay with a question here, Ryan. Are we going to expect more younger receivers playing this year despite more overall depth due to the coaching
2: changes? If yes, why? I mean, I hope so. I mean, I I just – look, last year there were moments in the season where some wide receivers did not play well enough, and there was an inability to get a guy like Tobias Merriweather before the concussion on the field more. You know, and then Deion Coles gets back at the end of the season after dealing with injuries, and he starts playing a lot more. That was good to see, right? But, I mean, there's no excuse to not have Deion Coles, Tobias Merriweather, you know, Lorenzo Styles, who you know, Jaden Thomas, like, having that core. But on top of that, I hope that guys like Jaden Greathouse, Breland James come in and at least get an opportunity to compete for reps, right? Like, I'm not yeah. asking them to come in and start day one. But Jaden Greathouse is so far along that he definitely should at least get an opportunity. If he doesn't get an opportunity, then there's some flawed type of hierarchy in how this Mm -hmm. thing works. Like, it's just flawed, in my opinion, because I think we get into this like we last year. There were points in the season, especially early on, where you're just like there's an assumption from people outside the program that it's like, man, Notre Dame doesn't have talent at wide receiver. And but, you know, that's not true. It's not true. Was there a depth issue last year? Yes, yeah. there's a less of a depth issue this year. You're starting to get that number in a good spot, more to where you want it to be. But there is not a talent issue at wide receiver at Notre Dame. Right. There was a development issue at Notre Dame at wide receiver, no doubt. But there, I think there also has been at times over the last couple of years an inability to get some of the younger guys on the field, man. Right. I want to see Tobias more. I want to see a couple of the freshmen play. You have to because those guys are some of your best athletes on the team right. and they need to play they need to be impactful
1: a depth a, a development issue so we're clear because I know Ryan Bailey is with me on this one uh, a depth issue or development issue that was coming into the season that had to get worked out during we did like the the improvements that were made by Chancy Stucky but he inherited that and it took time yes. to completely work all of that out of the mix it, it, yes, if you want to
2: if you want to see the impact that Chancey Stuckey had in your one as a coach, go watch Jaden Thomas the first two games of the season and the last two games of the season. Yep. Yes, Chancey Stuckey did a wonderful job with developing yep. that group.
1: Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, next question, Ryan, from Irish Blooded. If you could bring a rule from the NFL or professional football to college, what rule would it be? I know what mine is. You want me to go okay. ahead and get mine first you start while you think out. about it? Yeah. So you didn't say it had to be an on- or off-the-field rule. The biggest thing I would do, and it kind of what we talked about yesterday, is I would bring the tampering rule. You cannot tamper with another team's players or coaches until certain windows. There would be hiring windows, and there would be transfer portal windows, just like free agency and such. And if you get caught tampering, you or anyone speaking on your behalf, whether you approve them or not, gets caught doing that, There are severe, severe punishments involved, severe financial punishments, and then also loss of the ability to continue to participate in those aspects of it for a period of time. We talked about this yesterday, Ryan. Sean and I got into a conversation about, um, you know, the uh, the portal and, 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 you know, how to incentivize more high school kids to be recruited, because we both agree that this is really hurting high school recruitment. But, you know, I said, look, create tampering rules to where if you get caught tampering, you get fined seven figures, you lose the ability to be a part of the – you can't bring in transfers for you know, three to five years, whatever you want it to be. Really put some teeth to it. So that's the one rule that I would bring is tampering with coaches and and tampering with current players. I don't care if you want to use NIL deals to entice a a proven college player to come to your team. I have no problem with that. Once the portal period opens – and then you can have it out. For this month you guys can you guys can duke it out who wants to offer him the best NIL deal because I'm okay offering NIL deals as enticement for proven college players. As long as it's done legally within the process within the process. Not behind the scenes offering Drake May big figures before he's even in the portal to entice him to jump in the portal. I'm not okay with that. Right? And if you get caught doing that, you not only can you not get him but you're gonna get fined seven figures and you're going to lose privilege portal privileges for a period of time. That's what I would that's the one rule that I would bring. Because if you get caught tampering now, you cannot and not only can you not sign that player, but you lose a first round draft pick, and you can find how much did the dolphins get fined? I know they lost a the first round draft pick. It Didn't a they get fine millions of dollars? It was something as well, man.
2: it was it was a wild amount if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna actually look that up. Um while you're kind of giving your and your and, they, and and they lost the first round pick, man, which is just like that's like a death sentence, yeah. man. That's like that's yeah. a big thing. That's a huge. They're, thing. their uh, their owner was suspended and
1: they were fined one point five million dollars for their yeah. tampering with uh Peyton
2: and Brady, which Tom for Peyton, which, or uh Sean Payton, which for Stephen Ross is like pennies, right. but yeah, still it's that's a fine. Big but fine. that's still got fine. some teeth to it. You know, find know about- the
1: univer find a university one point five million dollars, and that's not something that's like no big deal yep. to to them, right? And and then again, it's you lose that act you lose that ability to participate in the transfer portal period for a period of time. That's the rule I would
2: bring to the NFL from the that's NFL. A, that's a good one. That's a good one. My mind went to in game rules, obviously, and man. I – just not a ton, man. Like the NFL kind of stinks with some of the rules. About being completely honest, right? What What are your thoughts on this one? Because I I kind of am on this one, but I I'm I'm a little uneasy about it. So the pass interference rule in NFL it's a spot foul, comparative to a fifteen yard penalty on the college level. I actually kind of like the spot foul thing because I mean for me and it's, it's like new rule in college. It, did they change that now? It's spot well, foul mean, now.
1: Is, isn't the NFL rule it's a spot foul up to fifteen? If it's past fifteen, it's it's not. If it's it's not a spot field, is it still a spot foul forty yards down the field? Yeah,
2: I believe so. Okay.
1: Yeah, okay. unless something
2: just changed this off season. Yeah, I, I mean, you were so. talking
1: about how the NFL, how the cod rule used to be fifteen no matter what.
2: Yeah. So, no. I no. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I kind of like the spot foul thing, man, because it's like if I, my guy got burnt and he's forty yards down the field and it's going to be a walk in touchdown. How am I going to just give him 15 yards for that? Right? It's like you were about to have a 40 yard gain or a a touchdown potentially. I mean, that's a big play. So I kind of like the spot foul. Actually, I think it's—I don't know—I kind of—I don't—I
1: don't don't love it because I think there's a lot of rules where you'd say, "Well, that guy didn't cheat. That's a 60 yard touchdown kind of thing." You know, Um, what 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 I like about what I would what I would change about the offensive is the pass interference offensive. I think 15 yards for offensive pass interference is too dramatic in the nfl it's 10 correct if, so. it's, yeah. if it's if it's often it's a 10 yard it, it might be
2: 15 it i still 15. i
1: think it's i think it's 10 now and i don't is know it? if it used to be because i remember watching a playoff game um i'm actually gonna look this up now um offensive pass interference in the nfl so uh loss of 10 yard and a replay of the down yes so uh i that's a rule that i would also like to bring is I think fifteen. Years, you're basically saying if I if I have to deliver a dirty block on a guy or a dirty play or a cheap late hit on a guy, that's the same penalty as offensive pass interference. It's
2: a little a little harsh for me. So that's that's the passing principle. Spoken, spoken like a true offensive guy, man. Spoken yeah, like a true offensive guy. Well, if I if I was a wide receiver though on the NFL level, and I'm I would also an I offensive was. guy
1: that doesn't believe if you interfere with me forty yards down the field, you get forty that's yards. So that pay for the defense. So I'm at least being consistent with that's the true. you know with you shouldn't unnecessarily
2: overly punish a team. You know. The NFL is so bad at enforcing offensive pass interference, too. If I was a wide receiver on the NFL level, I would commit offensive pass interference every single play
3: because they're barely ever going to call it. <laughs> like, I'm pushing off yep. all the time. Yep, no doubt about it.
1: It's only a kick. A jump.
0: A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle
1: We have a super chat down here from Steve Rolf. He says, "Haven't had a chance to watch in a while, but what is an area you think Coach Heistand didn't do well that maybe the
2: new guy could change?" I I think that I think that there could have been a wider scope of recruiting at times. I think that you could have pushed for maybe a couple other, you know, like last year's class. You know, we talked a lot about, you know, needing offensive tackle types. I think that maybe if they would have expanded a little bit the board at some point, there might have been an offensive tackle or two that maybe they could have gotten in with in a a solid situation. So Coach Easton knows what he likes uh, recruiting wise. He knows what he needs and he recruits to it. And he pulled in a really good class in 2023, a really talented offensive line group. But I do think that maybe there's a little too much fixation sometimes on that's my guy, that's it. Let's not expand because, like, what's the problem? I, I I personally just think that if you expand a board off, you know, from offensive line or just from a position group in in general, just because you expand it doesn't mean that the guy that you're expanding to is the priority on the board, right? It's just that you know maybe you see how that relationship goes, and maybe you get in there, and maybe at the end of the day, the fit makes total sense. So maybe just a little bit more of open mindedness from you know, maybe some, you know, maybe a wider scope of recruiting. Yeah, I don't sense. think it's, a, I don't, you you use that
1: word open-mindedness and you use that in an article you re- wrote recently too. I don't think it has anything to do with open-mindedness. I think it's about, I have a standard for what I'm looking for and I'm not going to offer a scholarship to a guy that doesn't meet that standard, right? Like, I don't think it's open-minded as much. I, I think there could be adjustments to the recruiting strategy. We don't necessarily disagree there. Uh, mine would be more of uh, be willing to engage with more, maybe a little bit of a writer group, uh, maybe a little. But when you're when you recruit offensive line like Notre Dame does, I kind of like the idea of getting an offer to play offensive line at Notre Dame is not something that a lot of guys can brag about, you know. And, and there's something like, oh my gosh, I got an offer from Notre Dame to play offensive line. I I kind of like that. Uh, I think that what I would say is is maybe the the criteria was a tad too strict for who should get an offer right there's but I don't think it's about open-mindedness it's about I have a way that has worked for me and I'm gonna stick to that way and and so I think I think to me that's more I had to do with but I, I I would have liked to maybe see the criteria expand a little bit more would be the thing for me but I think the recruiting one is an interesting one I I've always said as 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 great as Harry Heastan was the one area that I didn't think was as good I never thought his pass protection at Notre Dame was quite as good as the run blocking so I'd say maybe a little bit more balance in that regard. I, I think it's a little bit more of a power pass pro type of situation. Like Joe, Joe Walt was phenomenal this year in pass protection, but Joe Walt was phenomenal the year before as well in pass protection. You know, I think sometimes uh, hand usage at times with the way that they did it, and maybe this wasn't necessarily him, but I felt this way even, and I've said this before, uh, even his first tenure, that the pass blocking at, at times wasn't quite as good as the run blocking. And so I think that's an area where I would look at, but it's, it's, I don't know if Joe Rudolph is going to improve on that though. It's just in theory, he could, I, you know, pass blocking at Wisconsin was, wasn't always great either, but let's just say he was working with a different level of foot quickness and agility with those guys at Wisconsin. What he's going to inherit it at Notre Dame, Ryan. I I think that would be certainly an interesting one. Let's get to another one here, Uh, Ryan. What is your favorite defensive coverage concept scheme?
2: My favorite scheme. I I, I love the four-two-five, John. I I I really do because there's there's a couple different personnel groupings that you can fit into a four-two-five. Like four-three personnel, you can do a four a true four-two-five kind of nickel look out of a four-two-five. When I when I was growing up, especially in high school. I got a little bit obsessive over wanting to know everything about Gary Patterson's 425. Like, that was my thing. Like, I loved it because I just – I thought it was so revolutionary at the time. And I think you've seen that trickle not only, you know, from the college football ranks but also up to the NFL. I mean, that's – you know, 425 has basically become base for a lot of different NFL teams now. So, I think 425 for me is one. Coverage concept, I'm a big believer in that – that is very specific to what personnel you have, right? Like there's going to be some defensive secondaries where I'm like, like that's a cover, you know, that's a two high type of defense. like that's a cover two, that's a cover four, that's a match quarters, whatever it will be. Right. But then there's other teams where I'm like, well, I have a really good free safety type, right. Or maybe I could play a little bit more middle of the field, close, a little more single high stuff. So maybe I'm going to play a little bit more cover one, cover three. So, like, I don't really have a coverage that I'm like, that coverage is the one that I love to play. I do love to mix and match coverages. I do, because I think that the biggest thing to mess with quarterbacks is that, well, one thing is I I love post snap rotations. I love that stuff, man, because quarterbacks hate that. So much, but I think that just showing different levels of zone versus man. Like I want to mix and match coverages a ton, but I love the four two five as kind of a base defense nowadays. When you talk mix and match, you talking about personnel, or are you talking like the pattern match stuff that, that
1: Alabama's run for all these years?
2: Pat- pattern match, but also just kind of the ability to work different zone concepts and different man concepts, so that ne- like everything I want everything to look the same. You know what yeah. I mean? Like like pre snap, I want it to look the same. Like oh well, they're in too high. Like you would think. It's going to be cover two of some sort. It's going to be cover four. It's going to be something of that. But then, oh, here's a rotation, and now they're in cover one where they've rotated down, and they're in man across the board with a with a single high free safety. Or oh wow, they're in too high. They they like to rotate it down a ton. All of a sudden, oh, now they're in match quarters. Like you know you know what I mean? Like I just want to be able to mix and match zone and man concepts because I think that's really how you mess with with quarterbacks, especially like post snap rotations. Because then a quarterback. He was comfortable with what they saw pre-snap. Now their mindset has to completely change. Like, oh man, here it comes different something different. Now I gotta change my process. And I think that's where a lot of bad decisions happen from a quarterback perspective. Yeah.
1: Here here's an interesting question, Ryan. This is from Gavin Harden. With scouts going crazy over tools now, is there a world where Joe Milton is a top three quarterback in next year's draft?
0: I
2: mean, my yeah, like my initial impulse is no, just because I don't think Joe Milton's very good. But like the NFL is so bad at evaluating quarterbacks right now, so yep. like I can't I can't fully say like no, Joe Milton's not going to be that guy just because he does. If have Will crazy Levis can goals. be that guy, then yeah. Joe Milton can be that guy. That's how I mean, stupid it is. Joe stupid. Milton it throws the, it, it, from an arm strength perspective. Joe Milton would be like a top-five quarterback in the NFL if he makes it to the NFL. Like, that dude has a hose, man. Yes. Absolute cannon for an arm. And he's a pretty dang good athlete for as big as he is, too. I mean, he's like 6'5", 240, and he can move a little bit. So can it happen? Sure. Should it happen as of right now? Absolutely not. The problem is I think there's
1: too many professional scouts, even at the professional level, that don't understand the difference between arm strength and arm talent and don't understand that there is a difference between those two things. And that's my issue with guys like Will Levis and Joe Milton. I could see it. And along those lines, here's another interesting one, Ryan, that's kind of along those lines from Archer452. One NFL scout said Richardson, Anthony Richardson from Florida, is a combination of Cam Newton and Justin Fields. What is the worst pre-draft chatter you've ever
2: heard? I I mean, there was a – there was a graphic that went viral on ESPN a few years ago. And David Montgomery was a – remember David Montgomery at Iowa State, Brian? He was yeah. a good football player, man. And back? he turned into – yeah, and he's a good football player for the Bears. And he ha, when he's been healthy, he's, he's a good player. But there was a graphic that – I forget if it was like Todd McShay or something. So, like, I, I forget who it was, so I'm not going to slander anybody. But it said that he was a mix of Saquon Barkley. Like, it had an attribute for every part of his game, which it was just like – that's a Hall of Fame running back, man. Yeah. Like You're calling him a Hall
1: of Fame. You just made a video running game running
2: back at this point in time. Yeah. Oh, man, that graphic was wild, man. It was just like you turned a good football player into a generational running back. Like, yeah. That's what you tried to do there, man. I've
1: never got much into the chatter, so I really can't a- answer this question. I But one, one guy that I went high that I just knew more than any ev- other ever that was going to be a bust of a quarterback was Jamarcus Russell. Yeah, I just any I just never understood how that guy could possibly be a first round. And there's a lot. Like I remember you know here's one. Uh two two that I do remember. I remember when I first started hearing about how Christian Ponder was getting a lot of hype as a first round pick. I was like there's no way. No way they're going to draft Christian Ponder in the first round. There's no way teams are that stupid. No way. Like you get out and of then, here. That's, and, and that And then they
2: drafted him top 15. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah.
1: Because yeah. I'm like, that's just that's that's the smoke and mirrors that the NFL teams do. They're just putting that out there to throw teams off. There's no way. And then when I heard, started hearing the buzz that Mitch Trubisky would be QB1 in that draft class with Pat Mahomes and Deshaun Watson, I was like, no way. That's just yeah. somebody trying to throw smoke, to throw teams off, to make people think that they may take Mitch Trubisky, but there's no way they're t- taking Mitch Trubisky over Deshaun Watson and, and Patrick Mahomes. No way. It so happens. those are those are two that. So I don't. The reason I take those over Jamarcus Russell is I don't remember what the buzz about Jamarcus Russell was. It could, he could have been unanimous. Everyone thought he was a top five player. I have no idea. I just knew yeah. that he was going to be a huge bust. But I do remember the the only two years I really remember a lot of buzz was the was the Christian Ponder and Mitch Trubisky buzz, and it made
2: no sense to me. I mean, at I- all. I've heard some stuff this week, man, that makes me kind of shake my head a little bit. Yeah, honest, well, I'd love ever. to hear a couple of those nuggets before well, you get I, out of here. I, I I put one nugget on the message board as far as the rumor mill. You should go to boards.harshbreakdown.com, by the way, because I've been doing a rumor mill every week, so, uh, every day of stuff I'm hearing here in Indianapolis. Hi, Sean, by the way. Hi, buddy. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, Brian, I believe this to be a pretty factual statement. And, again, there's some speculation here, but, like, after you hear something a bunch of different times, you start to get, like, eh, it's probably legitimate. I think if the Chicago Bears trade back and Will Anderson's on the board, I think that they might take Tyree Wilson over Will Anderson. I'm starting to get those vibes, man. I'm really starting to get those vibes. What's Uh, the reason? I agree with that. I have heard from multiple people in several different circles that Chicago loves Tyree Wilson, man. Like They love him. Okay. I think they're going to try to trade back, but if they trade back to two or four, let's say, like, and Will Anderson stare him in the face, I think there's a possibility they take Tyree Wilson as the first defense mm-hmm. player off the board. Mr. Chicago, what do you say about that? No, that's as you shook your head in affirmation
3: as soon as he said that. I've heard that he's met he's met with the Bears twice, if I'm not mistaken. Correct, Ryan? I believe so. And, yeah, and 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 it's been all over sports radio here. The Tyree Wilson buzz is. is it's buzzing, and they're really trying to sell in, in a way. It seems like they're using radio to sell the move if it happens. Like, this guy's really good. He's flying up the draft boards. Everybody wants him, and it's almost scary, especially with the Jalen Carter news. Yeah. You know, now they're kind of – it's, it's – it's, I'm cool with it. Be- I'm cool with it if they choose to move back twice, which – I'm hearing that as well, where they could trade with the Texans and then you have the Colts, the Panthers, the Raiders, and like four other aggressive teams that could jump up and then trade and they can move back from two to either four, seven, or eight. If they move back to four or seven and they still have a chance to get Tyree Tyree Wilson at seven would, would soften the blow Yeah, and if they're staring Will Anderson in the face. Well, and because take him over, Will Anderson.
1: Because that fits into what you said the other day, Sean, when we were talking, which is that would be a tremendous accumulation of capital, Absolutely. draft capital, or and, and you probably get a couple, maybe a player or two out of that too, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. yeah. um, 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 a Putney, Putney, get Putney, you know, Peter like you know, some kind of like that,
3: right? <laughs> so, I, Ryan, I heard that someone that's down there as well that I worked with. Mm-hmm. They said it's a chance that the first five picks might be quarterbacks. They were like, it could actually roll out this way. The way who'd be
1: five? Hold on a second. So hold on, you've got you'd have a Stroud, you'd have Bryce Young, you'd have Will Levis, Anthony Richardson, and who'd be the fifth?
3: Oh wait a minute, top four then? I All think right. he said four. Yeah, yeah. He said the top okay. four picks could be gotcha, the quarterbacks. He's, and he, the way he explained it, I said. Oh, I, I guess I could see that. I, I, I.
2: It's, it's it's the NFL, man, so you never know. It's just – it's it's wild, man. I mean, people are going to overthink Will Anderson so much, and it is just driving me crazy. Like, that kid is just
3: – We actually I, had Irish fans <laughs> today on the podcast say, hey. see, Foskey's more athletic. He runs faster than Will Anderson you know, I would take, I would take Isaiah Foskey and I'm sitting there like, okay.
1: Well, I mean, here's my thing. I would take Isaiah Foskey if I'm running a four three defense, right? Because I don't think Will Anderson is a four, three defensive end. But if we're talking about like uh, for the same position where they both are like, could play like as a, as a, you know, four, two, five Viper or a three, four outside linebacker, it's not even a conversation for me. Right. I mean, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, if I need a 4-3 strong side end and it's between Will Anderson and Isaiah Foskey, I'm taking Isaiah Foskey because Will Anderson's not a strong side end. But for everything other than that, I don't – this isn't a conversation. I mean, it's just – it it's, shouldn't it's, be a conversation. It
2: should, it should not be a conversation. But it shouldn't Ty,
1: be a conversation Tyree Wilson, with Tyree Will Wilson Anderson either. either. Exactly. I mean, it, it shouldn't very, even be a conversation there either. Ty, Tyree
2: either. Wilson this year is very reminiscent of Trayvon Walker last year. That's where yeah. we are. You have Aiden Hutchinson and you have – And you have Kayvon Thibodeau that should have Mm -hmm. been the top of that class, right? I liked Kayvon a little bit more than Aiden personally. That should have been the top. And then Trayvon is like maybe three. But I I was a big George Karloftis fan. George Karloftis played fantastically as a rookie. So I think he was underdrafted at pick 31 or whatever the heck he was. But Mm -hmm. I mean, regardless, like I get betting on traits. But I don't even think Tyree Wilson is that special of an athlete. I, he's he's long, he's a big dude, but I don't think he's a special historical athlete like a Trayvon Walker was, for instance, right? Like Trayvon mm-hmm. ran four five one, had like a forty inch vert at two hundred seventy two pounds. I got that to a degree, right? Like he is a historical anomaly as a tester. I don't think Tyree Wilson's that. I don't think he's that, which is why he isn't testing this week,
3: right? I just don't Texas Tech. The Texas Tech defender. It, it just it doesn't even sound right. Like a well, Texas he, was, he was he was at Texas A originally. Sean, if that makes you feel it, better. No, it doesn't. It, <laughs> it, it really doesn't. Honestly, I mean, I would much rather if it were me and I'm the Bears and I'm moving back and I can't get one of the top two guys, then go offensive tackle. All right, then go get a tackle to, to yeah. protect Justin Fields, don't force it. And to me, getting him would be a force, in my opinion, because you're getting the third or fourth best defender when you can go yeah. get the number one offensive lineman to protect your most valuable asset. Is Wh- who is that guy this year,
1: guys?
2: I, you you guys know who is the top tackle in this year's class? The K- Skaronsky kid, right? De, de- depend de- depend. Uh... Some teams like Skoronsky as a tackle. Some people are afraid of the arm length. I mean, it depends what team you're talking about. There's some people that obviously like Paris Johnson from Ohio State. He's yeah. another guy that's a player that people talk a lot about. I mean, it really depends on flavor. Like a team like the New England Patriots that don't care as much about arm length will probably have a Skoronsky higher, right? But then a guy yeah. that's a more traditionalist would probably have a guy like a Paris Johnson more at the top. I, I just. The the difference in upside
1: is what would what would make it hard for me to take Skronsky over Paris Johnson. I mean, Skaronski is a much better offensive tackle going into the draft, but I just think Paris Johnson has elite potential, and right now he's more about potential than he is anything else. Right? I mean, that's the reality of it. But you know, if if I you know it it, it part of it would depend on who my quarterback is and where I'm. If I'm a team that's just not very good, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm taking Paris Johnson. If I'm a team that just had a down year but we should be good again, I, I you know, I, it would make it t- much tougher for me between yeah. those two. Yeah. Here, here's a comment to somebody, man, I'll let you guys uh, respond to it. Gideon Rosa said, I would take Isaiah Foskey over Aiden Hutchison, but never over Will Anderson. Uh,
2: I mean, long-term, yeah. I, I I, mean, I could see a world where Isaiah Foskey is a better player, but Aiden Hutchison was just a much higher floor player. I mean, like he had like nine and a half sacks as a rookie. Like he was just a good solid football player. I don't know if I can project Isaiah Foskey to be as solid in year one as what Aiden Hutchinson was. Like, I just don't. I, he's a much. Aiden Hutchinson is a is a higher floor player than Isaiah Foskey. Isaiah Foskey is a higher upside guy. So, like, what are you what are you pushing for in that regard? Because, I mean, we have to remember the NFL recycles and cycles through coaches so much too. Like, sometimes you need that short term boost, man. Like, this isn't always just like the recruiting side of stuff, you know? Like, it it matters. I just – look,
1: I, I know why people – some people don't like Aiden Hutchinson. I'm just like, how much more does this kid have to produce and play at a high level before people start showing that kid a little bit more respect as a player? You know what I mean? Like,
3: I mean, it's just a matter of what – people don't consider him a number one overall pick. Yeah, I mean, he's just not that caliber of defensive end that you mm-hmm. figure would be gone
1: or right. taken he's not a number one
3: overall pick. He's not he's, sexy. He's, but the production's there. He's going to be consistent. He's yeah. going to be consistent. you need guys like that. Right? Yeah. There's nothing wrong with a guy that shows up and you know what you're getting from him week in, week out. Yeah. I'm, I just I I've I'm never I've never, I'm never
1: I've never understood the lack of respect for him. I mean, this is the kid that had 16 and a half t- tackles for loss and 14 sacks in his last year, at Michigan. And so, well, it's because he had David Ajabo on the other side. Well, what's the excuse for what he did at Mich at at with the Lions this year? You know, because the, for the Lions this year you had nine and a half sacks. I mean, that's more than than the next two guys people talked about combined, Trayvon Walker and um, who's the other end we were talking about Sean, not Carl Loftus, but who's the other defensive end that was taken in last year's draft that we were just we were just talking about him. Um, give me a second, sorry, I'm going to go 2022 NFL draft. Who is the other edge player that we were just we were just talking about him? Is Trayvon Walker? Aiden, oh, came on Thibodeau, sorry.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, he had, I think those two combined had six and a half sacks, and Aiden Hutchinson had nine and a half sacks last year. Thibodeau missed
3: the first, what, first three games, four games? Yeah. But,
1: you know, Hutchinson had nine and a half sacks and three picks last year. So he gets the job done. But I get it, he's not a sexy player. I think that's really what it boils down to. He's not a sexy player. So, yeah, we shall see. We shall see. All right, let's get back to some more questions here, Mr. Davis. Thank you for joining us. By the way, Sean, oh, I'm glad to know to that me. Malik has finally apologized <laughs> for costing Notre Dame a national championship. You and I talked about that before the show today, and I was like, I do blame Malik. I do blame Malik.
3: <laughs> he also apologized for the 16 season and leaving. Okay. I got him to I got him to I, apologize for I, I
1: supported his decision to leave because he got screwed in twenty sixteen. I my only my only thing is he should have gone to Wisconsin, not Florida. That was my thing, is I, I had a bad feeling when he did that. And uh
3: yeah. I yeah. have a
1: bad had a bad feeling about that one. Had yeah, a he's bad
3: he was a little selfish and you know, he's he's part of the reason we're still suffering. 35 yes. years. <laughs> it's all Malik's fault. It's all Malik's it's fault. not Brian Ben Gorder's fault. No. Or No, Longo or no. None of those guys. No. It's all Malik. The and fact if that he called color. his own number on an yeah. RPO that was wide open, yes. Yeah. It's his yeah. fault.
1: Yeah, obviously we're we're having some fun at uh, at left's <laughs> expense. We're not truly blaming Malik for that. Uh, at least I'm not, by the
3: way. <laughs> so, hey, fans enjoyed it though. Yeah, fans it was fun.
1: It. It's fun, and he showed some graciousness in it as well. So, <laughs> um, Tyler Eric says, uh, "What team would you or ask? What team would you like to see Notre Dame schedule more or less in the future?" I would personally like to see Michigan come back. Uh, Sean, I've already said who I'd like to see Notre Dame play less. I am over playing Stanford I'm done playing Stanford I would like to see Stanford yeah. come off the schedule maybe play them a home and home every decade one home and home every decade
3: yeah I'm good the shine has come off of that yeah a little bit yeah. I'm a traditionalist so maybe the return of a, a Penn State mm-hmm. every other year or Michigan state to the let stadium. me ask you this Sean yeah. if
1: I if I gave you the option mm-hmm. I'm setting the schedule I gave you the option we're gonna we're gonna come back to playing a home and home with a traditional team, and you get to choose between Michigan, Miami, Penn, or, uh, Michigan State, or Purdue, who would you take? Every year, for the next 20 years, of those, Michigan? who would you take? Michigan, Miami, Purdue, Michigan State? Michigan. Michigan? Okay. Yeah. Tell me why. Not that it's a bad choice,
3: tell me why. You no, know, I mean, I'm just nearly going off on of my childhood. Mm-hmm. And what the game meant.
1: It was like, big every year when you and I Like,
3: were yo, I, I remember the first game. That was the 88 game under the lights. And, you know, I begged my father to let me stay up. And my bedtime was nine. <laughs> I begged him to let me stay up and finish the game, and he did. So, yeah, moments like that. You know, the Rocket game the next year in 89 with the two returns. You come back in '90 with uh, Rick Meyer. Late night game, tie, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, and yeah, it's it. Even some losses, like you know, the fourth down, the classic game with Desmond Howard catches the fade from Elvis Gerback in the corner. I mean, it was just some mm-hmm. fantastic football games in that series. Really, the, the, the 2000 game was, was eleven. It's epic. Yeah, yeah. the Dar- Denard Robinson come back and. You know, who was that? Uh Charlie Weiss's first game on the road. Oh yeah, the
1: 17th yeah. game uh Raymond McKnight got hurt. Yeah. yeah.
3: Didn't they like yeah. that was like Michigan fumbled on like the half yard line and yeah. Zippy recovered in the end zone? And I think they were Tommy, ranked that was really high at the time. Tommy Reese, yeah, came in and absolutely. It's been You're some- talking Tommy Reese talking about the uh, 2012 game when he came in and
1: threw that threw that touchdown pass to touchdown TJ Jones. Pass, yeah. Yeah.
3: It's has been some yeah. classic games. I, it's hard not to. It's hard not to say Michigan. I'll say even it's the, easy for me
1: not to say Michigan because yeah. I despise everything you about despise the Michigan football program, and and was, also because because it goes back. Yes, there. Were, I I agree with everything you just said, but I just can't get over the fact that that of 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 what they did to Notre Dame as far as oh, keeping them out. keeping them out
3: of the conference. Yeah. Absolutely. Twins. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah.
1: And I wouldn't want to reward them with, you don't deserve to play us. And, and yeah. that's why I say for me, it'd be Michigan State. Number one, Miami to me is a rival that should not be an every year rival. Notre Dame yeah. and Miami should play six times every 10 years. You know, go, go, go two, you know, go, go four home and home, you know, take three, four years off that, you yeah. know what I mean? Cause it, it just, it, I like it better when it's like okay, I like it for a six seven year stretch, and then you know let it let it cool down for a couple of years, and then bring yeah. it back. Michigan yeah. State be the pick to me because of the loyalty that they showed. I mean, I, I think Michigan State, you know, fought hard for Notre Dame to get them into the league, and it, it was loyal to play them for a long time. and And I, I would say that's a program that I think deserves to have Notre Dame on their schedule every yeah. year. Uh, yeah, personally. So even more so than Purdue, I know Purdue and Notre Dame in state and all that. I just, that, that, that game's never meant much to me, to be honest with you. It just, it just, as a, as a rivalry from that standpoint and the U and the Stanford rivalries new. it's like that, that one is like, that didn't start till the nineties where they played every year, you know, and, and played at the end of every year. I mean, so there was long stretches where Notre Dame and Stanford didn't play each other. So I'm totally fine with
3: become interesting until Joe Tiller got there. Right. Well no, I mean
1: in our lifetime, correct? In our lifetime. Yeah, correct. yeah. Correct. Taylor made yeah. it interesting, yeah. 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 I mean Notre Dame and Stanford only played each other 35 times, Sean. Yeah. Right? And you know, you talk about you talk about Purdue and 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 you know, I, I you know, honestly I, I don't really care much about the Purdue game, but I'd rather see that than Stanford every year. You know, Notre Dame and Purdue have played each other uh see 6 78 85 times. At least 85 times. You know, and and so I just the Stanford thing and I get why they did it at the time. It made total sense. You know, West Coast recruiting was very important for Notre Dame. Yeah. Uh, it was just one of those things where, you know, travel was such a thing. You had to close in f- for February and all that. It's like now it's like by the time you play Stanford last game of the year, this, your recruiting class is basically done. You know, and and just West Coast recruiting just isn't the way that it was in the past where you're getting more of these kids on campus. You know, you're not waiting until November to go seal a deal. And yeah. this year November, in November or December, Sean, their name spent most of the month doing in-homes with the kids that were already committed and keeping them in the class. So it's just the process is just different now, and I just don't think there's that same need for that West Coast game at the end of every year. So I would be okay being done with the Stanford one for me, Yeah. Here, here's well, one, Sean. Oh, go ahead.
3: No, I'm saying the move for you, the move of USC and UCLA to the Big Ten, kind of helps with exposing the West Coast to Big Ten football and right. Notre Dame in the Midwest region. It kind of helps in recruiting, indirectly, honestly. Yeah. Because now California kids start thinking about Midwest Big Ten programs right. and right.
1: And it's just, I don't like Notre Dame recruited the West coast pretty well before they started playing Stanford.
3: Yeah.
1: Right. Like you're playing USC every year. That's enough. And I don't said is this. Okay. If you want to play another West coast team, that's cool. Mix it up. You know, play Stanford two years and play UCLA for two years, play Cal in a home and home play, uh, you know, play Oregon or I don't know. Uh, Oregon as much Washington in a home and home. I mean, I'd rather do that than playing Stanford every year, especially now that Stanford is just so basically just said, we don't care about football at this point in time like that's really what it boils down to for me it's just yeah. it's just it, the recruiting stuff but then also the last part of it is just stanford is so blatantly just apathetic towards football it's like do you really want to associate yourself with that like i don't i don't
3: was well, that oh yeah. man i know ucla with Car came oh six and oh seven stadiums. did they ever did they go to ucla
1: yeah the next year that was one of you're their names right. three wins that next year yeah you're right yeah mo crumb had that big fumble return mm-hmm. because they could not score and yeah, oh six. I'm telling you what. If 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 another example of why I hate the prevent defense. Although I liked it that particular day, they could not block. It was, it was Bruce Carter and I forget who the another who the other Davis was. Davis and Carter. Bruce Davis. Yeah, yeah. And I'm trying to remember the last the first name of the other defensive end. But like, they just couldn't block him that day. No. And it wasn't until they went away from that that edge rush and went prevent. And then Brady said, "Cool, <laughs> you're giving me time to throw for the first time mm-hmm. all day." and just let him down the field for a big score. I never understood that, but, um, but yeah, that was a, that was a, I, I, just, you know, mix it up. That's my thing is mix it up. So yeah. although PAC 12, make it look a whole lot different here next couple of years with all the stuff coming out today. So that, that, that'll make it very, <laughs> very interesting. We got one from John a one. Will Tyson Ford be fully healthy this spring? And if he is, what do you hope to see from him? I, I don't know. I, I assume, He's going to be healthy, Sean, as far as I know. I haven't heard anything. Yeah, I haven't heard anything. He just needs to show progress, you know, show, show the ability to start making some plays, show a little bit more of a, a motor. I think Tyson is an incredibly talented kid. I just think he's one of those guys that just needs a little bit of a push, you know, just a little bit more fire from him, you know what I mean? Like, um, he's always just so much bigger and stronger than everybody else. I, I don't know if he if he necessarily understands what it really takes to, to say, hey, man, you you know, let's turn this thing up to a hundred. And I don't know if he knows how to do that yet. That would be the thing for me. It's just really turn that, turn that dial up. Lewis Nix had that problem coming out of high school. Lewis was just so much bigger and athletic. It took him a while to like realize what the dial needed to be turned up to, to really dominate the way he's capable of. And, and I think Tyson's a different type of player, but I I think that would be the big thing for me is I want to see him play with a little bit more, you know, and see what he, see what kind of play because he's very talented. He's very talented.
3: It's amazing, right? Because you look at his recruiting story, he he was excited about the opportunity to play early, to go to Oklahoma, mm-hmm. and then eventually listen to Reason with Mike Ellison and Marcus Freeman and came to Notre Dame. You know, you just never know the psyche of, uh, of young men and how they interpret different things as far as playing time and needing motivation. Some people are self-motivators in life. So, and then at some point, you know, kids grow up and it clicks. It clicks for them, you know, so Mm -hmm. we'll see. We'll see. I, I will say this, though. We talked about culture with the offensive line on the offensive side of the ball yesterday and the continuity being different this year. And you've pointed this out. I think the culture in the defensive line room is going to be different this year. And I'm very interested in seeing how that impacts the younger guys.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yep. Very interested to see that. We got another question here, Sean. This is from John A1. Caleb Smith and Jaden Thomas have very similar body sizes, around 6'2", twenty. Are they similar players? I don't believe so.
3: No, I think, I think- Caleb Smith. Go ahead.
1: I'm sorry. No, go ahead, Sean.
3: No, Caleb Smith has the ability to be uh, more of a vertical threat. In my opinion, he's been used as a vertical threat, and he's played all three positions at Virginia Tech. Uh, He came to Notre Dame because he was tired of being used that way, just 50-50 balls and go up and get the ball. So he wants to be more diverse in his route running, and that's why he came to Notre Dame to be used more in that way. And Jaden Thomas is pretty much the – uh, man, I think Jaden Thomas is is growing into the dependable guy, third down type yeah. guy for Notre Dame.
1: It's to me, Sean. It's it's inside out is the way the easiest way I could explain it. It's it's Jaden is more of an inside guy that can play outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, Caleb is more of an outside guy that could also do some things inside. I think Caleb is more of a vertical player, and I don't mean vertical player by just go routes and post routes, but I mean ver- everything vertical working off you know, deep ends and comebacks and things like that. I think J I think J uh, Jaden Thomas can do that stuff too, but I think he's just better in the slot with some of those things. So that's what it boils down to for me with those two guys. I think that's where I, where I would come from on
3: those. When you, if you are an opposing coach, B i I don't know if you know, that's your nickname on our show.
1: Yes. I've heard B okay. or be is the yeah. two that I've heard. So, so um, so.
3: If you're an opposing coach and you're walk watching the other team warm up, like would you would you rather see a wide receiver group that just tower like they're all like six two, six three, six four? Or would you like to see a bunch of fast, quick guys that are just getting in and out of their breaks?
1: My preference is the is as an offensive guy is the bigger guys because I feel like I can I can recruit to speed to a degree. You know, like if if like you look at Notre Dame's corners right now, like you know, I think they can hang with speed relatively well. like Notre Dame would match up much better against 2020 Alabama now than they did that year. Mm-hmm. Right. Where that year you kind of wanted to face some bigger guys because you had some bigger guys that couldn't really run, you know, and whereas now it's like, you know, I feel like Notre Dame can check with those guys. It's just to me, big guys, just, it's hard to look ideally, Sean, with all sports, you want to find a skill set that's more slump proof. And I think speed can be slump proof. And what I mean by that is, is not even just your speed, but number one, what if I can go against a cornerback? That's equally as fast as me. Uh, You know, what if I have, you know, a a speed guy, but he needs to, he needs time to get open. So in my pass rush, isn't there. Or, you know, what if, what if my quarterback's having an off day and he's just not quite as accurate as he is, and my 5'11, 5'10", speed guy is just not able to make as many plays? Yeah. Where I feel like a six four guy that can run, even if it's not like running like you know four three, is is going to be hard because if my quarterback's off, he's still going to be able to make plays to that guy, you mm-hmm. know. And it's it's harder to to find a you know, there's not a lot of teams that have two cam hearts out there playing cornerback, right? And so I think that that's kind of where I fall on that one, Sean. With that
3: it's, a, it it's 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 crazy because I'm so intrigued as to how they deploy everyone this year. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be interesting because remember last spring they had Dion colsey working in the slot, mm-hmm. and he was running plays from the slot in the blue and gold game. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting, right? Because you expect Jaden Thomas to be inside, you expect yeah. Jaden Greathouse to be inside, yeah. You expect Braylon James to be outside. You expect Rico to be outside. It's it's really gonna be interesting to see how they deploy these guys because they could go, they could come out six four, six four, six with Caleb Smith, Tobias, Dion. If they come out with those three. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's like Yeah.
1: yo. Yeah. Good luck. Right. Good luck. Oh, and by the way, we're bringing Jaden Greathouse and Braylon James and the the, the two Kalen Smiths and yeah. Lorenzo Styles and yeah, yeah we're, that's what we're bringing off the bench. So yeah. but yeah. Notre Dame's got a talent problem at receiver though, Sean. Right? So.